Hey everyone, it's Mark in Chicago, here with your latest episode of Media Riot. In movies, we'll look at The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smog. In music, the latest album from Britney Spears, titled Britney Jean. And in theater, we look at Elf, the musical. Plus, a remembrance of actor Peter O'Toole. and songs fall utterly short of your enormity oh Smaug the stupendous we are the dwarves of Elabor we have come to reclaim our homeland I offer you my help now that we know it won't betray us we don't there is no king under the mountain, nor will there ever be. It will not end here. With every victory, this evil will grow. Legolas has grown very fond of you. Do not give him hope where there is none. You have no right to enter that mountain. I have the only right. We've been blind in our blindness. Our enemy has returned. Part two of an unnecessary trilogy to the book The Hobbit opens this weekend. The Desolation of Smog continues the story of Gandalf, Bilbo Baggins, and the Thirteen Dwarves as they head to the Lonely Mountain to take back their kingdom from the dragon Smog. Okay, there are going to be spoilers ahead. Actually, there's just one. I'll give you a moment to move on to the other reviews, if you like. Okay, cool. All right. The spoiler is, nothing happened. <laughs> well, that's not entirely correct. The dwarves and Bilbo arrive at the mountain to fight Smog, but they don't defeat him. Okay, the title of this movie is The Desolation of Smog. And yes, I had to look it up. But um, desolation is a fancy way of saying destruction. So you assume something called the desolation of smog, and the point of the story is to defeat the evil dragon, there would be, <laughs> you know, the desolation of a dragon? But no, the final scene is of smog escaping and then cut to black. What the hell? I sat there for over two and a half hours and nothing changed? I mean, they made it to the mountain... But so far, we've sat through almost six hours of sword and sorcery, and not a single character, either good or evil, has died, and we're not counting the nameless orcs. I let it slide at the end of The Unexpected Journey, the first part of this trilogy, when the heroes escaped the main orc baddie. Y you know, that, that Captain Hook dude? I thought, okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll give him this, it's the beginning, you know, they'll get this bad guy in the next movie, you know, at the beginning of the movie or maybe the middle, because 
This one orc is not the lead evil character in the Hobbit story. But when the Hobbit 2 started and Orc Hook passed control of his dwarf hunt to his second in command, um, I think his name is like Bladehead or something like that, and then Orc Hook disappears more or less the rest of the movie, I was a little upset he got away. But, okay, I guess he's amassing an army for the true villain of the, the Hobbit, the Necromancer. But still, look at it this way. So at the end of the Fellowship of the Ring movie, Aragorn killed an orc leader, and Boromir uh, is killed. Okay, maybe it's me, but I 100% doubt it. But you can't end an epic, even part one, without someone dying or the dynamics of the story changing. I let it slide in The Unexpected Journey because I thought, okay, it's a little different. But <laughs> in The Desolation of Smog, part two of an epic... Not a single major bad guy or good guy dies. The Hobbit 2 ends where it started. The dwarves still need to kill Smog. And why? <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh my god. It, two and a half hours and nothing changed. I mean, you can say the story is building, but you can do that in 30 minutes. So when part three comes out and everybody's still alive, I guess part three is going to be some sort of slaughter fest. <sighs> I am so disappointed in the story for The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smog that they should have just named it The Hobbit, Burgers and Fries because neither Burgers and Fries or The Desolation of Smog appears in this movie. Now, <laughs> if The Desolation is the destruction by Smog, then the movie should have been called The, Des the Desolation by Smog, but that sounds like a comic book series. Or maybe it could have been called Smog's Des Desolation, but that sounds like a furniture line. Now, there's been a lot of press around the making of the Hobbit movies, a lot of it due to money. <laughs> Depending on what you read, it seemed like <laughs> director Peter Jackson wanted to make two separate three-hour movies, which sounded like a good idea because in paperback, The Hobbit is, by paper count, shorter than the first Harry Potter book, and that was only one movie. But because, of the, because the Lord of the Rings trilogy made more coin than the dwarves could ever mine, the studios pushed for a trilogy because they said they wanted a connective movie to the Lord of the Rings. Now, if you need a separate movie to tell you how The Hobbit connects to the Lord of the Rings, you need to A, be fired as, as your job as a movie studio head, and B, eat all your meals with a spoon and wear, wear Velcro shoes. So... Peter Jackson and his production crew have shoehorned into the Hobbit films all sorts of info from the appendixes of the, of the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit books. Now, I'm okay with some of it because after um, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings, he went back to The Hobbit to make adjustments to make it flow a little more to his Lord of the Rings story. But <laughs> Jackson and his company are shoehorning, no, no, wait, they're sledgehammering in characters in The Hobbit, into The Hobbit movies that aren't even in the book. Like, it's good to see Legolas again, but he's nowhere, not even his name is mentioned in The Hobbit book. And uh, Evangeline Lily's character, Tar Tarlene, is 100% made up by Jackson and his crew. And it's not to help fill plot holes, but <laughs> they added her because they felt there weren't enough females in the movie. Um, uh, wait, isn't that just a little sexist? 
<laughs> so, like, there are no female speaking roles in Lawrence of Arabia, and that's one of the greatest movies ever made. Director David Lean and screenwriters Robert Bolt and Michael Wilson didn't shoehorn in Debbie Reynolds tap dancing, tap dancing through the desert to make sure they got the female market. <sighs> Thankfully, though, Peter Jackson is talented enough to make Legolas and Tor- Torrell smoothly fit into the storyline. Now, even with the bad storytelling, I'm giving The Hobbit Burgers and Fries two stars. This is technically one of the best-looking films of the year. Maybe the best-looking big-budget film of the year. There's a lot of press behind the 48 frames per second rate. A regular film is shown at 24 frames per second. And I will give, I will give The Hobbit to this. With that 48 frames per second rate, it makes the wide shots look even more beautiful. Everything is sharper and brighter. Watching The Hobbit on the big screen is actually worth a couple of bucks. Also, like the other Tolkien films, the action sequences are amazing. I I just want to see a film of the elves fighting. They are so acrobatic. They make the Cirque du Soleil look like a tot tumbler class. There's an amazing action sequence where the dwarves are trying to escape the elves and orcs that is just thrilling, just absolutely simply thrilling. Sadly, this is about 30 or so minutes (laughs) of a two-hour and 40-minute movie. Oh, and when Smog finally shows up on screen at about two hours and 20 minutes. It doesn't matter that Benedict Cumberbatch does the voice. The voice is so digitally altered, it could be Debbie Reynolds speaking. But, you know, okay, fine. I'll give him this. It's one of the best-looking dragons on screen so far. But, (laughs) once again, back to that storytelling. When the dwarves try to stop Smog by emolting him with liquid gold, Smog just shakes it off like dandruff and flies away. I kind of lost my patience there. Thankfully, we were at the movie, at the end of the movie. Because, you know, I eat half a bowl of Raisin Bran. I'm in the can for like two hours. You know, just a little bit gets me going there. It's difficult to, re- to recommend The Hobbit 2. Because, like I said, nothing happens. The story <laughs> only moves forward by inches. Which is kind of sad for the actors because they put their all into this. And I will say this, even with a tighter storyline, I at times wish they casted some more recognizable actors for the dwarves and the other secondary roles. The actors are solid, but they don't really take off with their character. Nobody's really... There's no breakout role for anybody in this movie. So here's the best way to approach the desolation of Smog. Lower your expectations. Of the five Tolkienverse movies released so far... This is the weakest of them all, but the most beautiful to look at. Here's hoping that The Hobbit, seriously, we're going to tie it all up, trust us, trust us, does what the title says. In the middle of the earth, in the land of Shire, lives a brave little hobbit whom we all admire, with his long wooden pipe fuzzy woolly toes he lives in a hobbit hole and everybody knows him bilbo bilbo baggins he's only three feet tall bilbo bilbo baggins the bravest little hobbit of them all the human train wreck aka britney spears releases her eighth studio album Oops, I blacked out and did it again. Another circus album one more time. Bitch. 
No, actually, the title is Brittany Jean, a nickname used by her family members. Let's take a listen to a track. claims this album to be her most personal album yet. Aren't they all? <laughs> um, with songs like Body Ache and Tick Tick Boom, she mostly sings songs about slutty escapades. So, yeah, I'm at a loss here. How to, <laughs> I don't understand how these are personal songs, unless she's describing her second job as a stripper, and not like a fancy big city one, more like a truck stop stripper. And you know what? That's the best way to describe Britney. Starting off in Disney's squeaky clean image machine, she has worked hard to shed that image and show some dimension. Her former co-stars from the uh, Mickey Mouse Club, Justin Timberlake, Ryan Gosling, and Carrie Russell, have proven one can go from Disney to serious adult acting, with some patience and some true talent. I mean, Kurt Russell went from the Disney's The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes to Snake Plissken. So, you know, it's possible. And JT and Gosling have grown and shown depth, while Britney shows that she's actually trailer trash at heart her handlers must hate their lives at point if it weren't for the, those those special people Brittany would probably constantly be pregnant because she's a good old southern christian girl who practices abstinence constantly chain smoking cigarettes overweight and dumb as a box of rocks all right all right i'm sorry that was a little mean <laughs> let's actually deal with what's in front of us Britney's singing and dancing skills, which are, are, are a marvel of the music industry, seeing as she can't do either. Reported by some major entertainment news sites, a clip is floating around of Britney's actual singing voice during a concert. Now, yes, she is dancing and singing. That's why she's out of breath, is what they say. But it's obvious that she has zero training on how to move and sing at the same time, something all major Broadway stars are trained in, and it shows. Here's a snippet of Britney's true voice <laughs> vocal singing in a concert. Just 
Now, Birdie's about to settle into a Las Vegas performance residency, and let's hope she uses those pre-recorded tracks and lip syncs like she has for years. So, um, oh, yeah, yeah, the album, that's what we're actually here to talk about. Well, actually, we are. Too bad none of Brit Brit's handlers are helping her talk about her own album. Britney Jean is off to an incredibly slow start for Britney, debuting at only number four in the charts, and it hasn't really budged anywhere since then. Her people say she doesn't have enough time to promote it properly. And, well, what does Britney have to promote on this album? Kind of the same thing she's been doing for almost 15 years now, pop dance. There are 26 producers listed for this album. Shit, at that point, I could have snuck it in and probably produced a track. The personal songs on Britney Jean don't sound any different than her other personal songs she's done over the years. Personal songs are mostly like the sad ones about breaking up and they're done with generic lyrics. Now, the overall reason behind this new album is, you know, like those personal songs, she's either talking about the breakup from her fiancé, or this is actually a concept album about the loneliness of pop life, or, you know, like ding-dongs and cigarettes and getting knocked out. I don't know. It doesn't really matter with Britney Spears. Actually, in the end, most of these songs, yeah, they sound like they're made for just strip clubs, you know. But a truck stop strip club, because even with 26 producers on board, some of the best modern EDM producers out there, these are kind of crappy beats. I guess they were just trying to match up to Britney's lack of singing skills. And, and, talk, and talking about Britney's singing, yeah, she's always been a crappy singer, just generic. But in most of her recordings, her voice croaks like a frog. Now, even without professional training, even I know a singer's voice shouldn't croak. So either, and on this album, it's gone. So either they brought in a voice coach, doubt it, or they just auto-tuned the shit out of her voice, more than likely. Britney Jean, one star. Oh, baby, baby, how was I supposed to know? Something wasn't right I shouldn't have let you go Out on tour right now is the stage adaptation of the film Elf, entitled Elf, the Musical. Elf the film, since its release in 2003, has slowly become a new Christmas classic movie tradition, up there with It's a Wonderful Life, A Christmas Story, and Christmas Vacation. Which actually kind of blows my mind, because I am not a Will Ferrell fan at all. He only works best in bit parts, and his best leading performance was his Broadway one-man show, You're Welcome America, A Final Night with George W. Bush 
which in the end should have beaten Liza at the Palace for the Tony for Best Special Theatrical Event. W and Will Ferrell's idiot man-child characters he's famous for matched up perfectly. So it might be a little obvious I haven't seen Elf the film. Now, I don't think you need to see Elf the movie to see Elf the musical. It wants to keep the spirit of the film but go its own way. Now, there is a problem when going from movie to theater. (laughs) is that you're trying to sell theater to people who have seen the film. So, why do I want to pay Broadway prices to see something I have at home for free? Also, what if nobody really liked the movie? Like, did we really need a Xanadu the stage musical based on Xanadu the movie, which was a notorious flop? Yeah, but you know what? We end up with, like, the producer and Spamalot, so it can work. So thankfully, there's no 80s, you know, there's no 80s fashion or roller skates like in Xanadu, but there are rollerblades, but they take the place of ice skates in a romantic scene set at the skating rink at Rockefeller Plaza. The plot of Elf the Musical is similar to, plot, uh, to the plot of Elf the Movie. Buddy, a tot orphan, crawls into Santa's bag as he was making deliveries to the children at the orphanage, and when discovered back at the North Pole, the other elves fall for Buddy, and he's raised believing he's an elf, even though he ends up being three feet taller than everybody else when he's finally an adult. When Buddy, gets, when Buddy finally gets too big to be a, an elf, Santa and the other elves finally tell Buddy straight up that he's a human. But, ah, luckily he's not really an orphan. I find out Buddy's, Buddy has a dad who lives in New York City. But Buddy's on the naughty list. Maybe Buddy can get Daddy to the good list. And off Buddy goes to, to the big city. Now, after some mistaken identity and a little holiday cheer, Buddy is slowly accepted into Daddy Walter's life with his stepmom, Emily, and half-brother, Michael. Uh, Buddy's actual mom passed away without ever telling Walter that they were having a child, which turned out to be Buddy. So, in Elf the Musical, Jovi also shows up for the love story, and uh, Walter's also trying to come up with a new Christmas book, so it's more or less the same plot. Where it differs is that, well, um, it's a musical, (laughs) so there are songs, and they are grand and sharp Broadway style. The staging was great and exciting, and the songs come naturally, actually, but he is so sweet and innocent that you believe people would burst out into song around him. The best way to describe Elf the Musical is a solid Broadway production, everything done right, no cost, no cost spared. And actually, the actor who played Buddy in the Chicago production I saw, Will Bloom, was just right. He didn't try to copy Will Ferrell. He played the character of Buddy. Also, a little side note here. I did find it a little odd funny that Bloom's voice sounded like Chris Kattan, you know, a co-star of Ferrell's from his uh, SNL days. So, it's a well-produced show. I'm giving Elf the Musical three stars. Was it necessary to make this show? You know, I'm not sure yet. It's nice to have a new Christmas show. But, you know, and, well, look at it this way. Buddy is so childlike that it's safe to take, safe to take your children to see this show. And the crowd was half parents, half children. If I'd known Elf the Musical was going to be this family-friendly, maybe I could have taken my young niece or nephew, because actually, they're the real critics of this show. The show was 2 hours and 20 minutes long. That's including the intermission. The feel of Elf the Musical is that of modern animated movies. Innocent enough for children, but not irritating, you know, like Barney the Dinosaur will drive you nuts, and enough adult jokes to keep the parents involved in laughing. At the show I attended, 
sat next to me one of the target audience, a little girl about five or six. She seemed happy enough throughout, although she seemed a little distracted in the last 30 or so minutes. But at the end, when the cast came out for their bows, the little girl jumped up from her seat and excitedly waved goodbye to Buddy and friends. And since this was row five, Buddy could see and he waved back at her. This girl was full of holiday cheer when it was over. On the way out, I overheard a lot of parents asking their children if they liked the show, and the kids said yes. Now, two hours and 20 minutes might be a touch too long for the elementary school age, though. But older than that, you're fine. And as Broadway shows go, it's, it's not slow at all. It zips right along. It's, it's happy. It's, it's, it's just so happy. If, if you are not full of happy holiday cheer by the end, you are a Grinch. So, since this show is only two years old, and can only really play around the Christmas holiday, we have to see how the receipts are in the long run. I think this will probably pop up around the country at Christmas time for the next few years. I think the reason I am a little unsure about the longevity of Elf is because the guys who wrote Elf the Musical were also behind adapting (laughs) Adam Sandler's movie The Wedding Singer into a Broadway show. And, uh, well, we're not talking about that one, are we? So bring the kids. You'll have some great Broadway-style entertainment. Now, if they can just adapt my favorite Christmas movie, Die Hard. On December 14th, actor Peter O'Toole passed away at the age of 81. No cause at this time has been given, but his daughter is quoted as saying he had been ill for some time. You'll hear people proclaiming O'Toole a legend or a giant of the stage and screen, and you know what? They're not wrong. He'll most famously be remembered for his role of T.E. Lawrence in Lawrence of Arabia. The movie shot O'Toole into superstardom, and he never came back down. Lawrence was his first of seven Academy Award nominations for lead actor, none of which sadly he won, but he was given an honorable Academy Award in 2003. O'Toole was part of those old-school, UK-born, classically-trained actors who boozed it up to the break of dawn but could recite Shakespeare perfectly that night. Thankfully, he gave up drinking in 1975 following serious health problems and major surgery, and we had many more years of his amazing acting. Now, even though O'Toole gave up drinking, I think he'd be okay if we offered up a toast in his honor. And to play him out, here's a little bit of the overture to Lawrence of Arabia, composed by Maurice Jarre.
Hey everyone, I'd like to thank you for downloading or streaming this episode of Media Riot. We here at Media Riot were honored that Peter Jackson offered to produce this episode of Media Riot, but we passed because we like each of our episodes in this series to come to a fulfilling conclusion. Ooh. <laughs> no, really, Peter Jackson, if you're listening, we'd, we'd love to talk to you. Please, 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 please. Media Riot is an Illinois production, and we'll see you next time in our series of self-contained episodes. Bazinga! Bye now. Bye now.